Good morning and welcome to worship at Grace United Church. For those of you who I haven't met yet, my name is Sarah Brewer and I am delighted to be here with you for a few months while Reverend McCall is away briefly to serve the wider church. For those of you who are here in person, I want to thank you in advance for your continued commitment to following the precautions we must take at this time to help keep everyone in our church community safe. It's exciting to be together again, yet this in-between time when we can be here together but still have to follow precautions is hard. We yearn for the days when we can hug and shake hands, sing, not wear masks, sit wherever we want, and not need people participating in the service to do so through video. And we trust that in God's time, those days will come again. Yet for now, we remember and we follow Jesus, who commanded us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, which means that for the sake of not only ourselves and those here today, but also those we will encounter in our community throughout the week, we must persevere through this hard time of continued precautions. For those of you participating in worship on your TV or computer, we're glad you have joined us. Besides our worship services, and there are a variety of activities that happen here at Grace United Church for people of all ages and stages in life that happen in our church each week. You can find out more about these by joining our Facebook page, Grace United Church, Hanover, Ontario, or contacting the church office to be added to our email distribution list for the weekly announcements. For all of you, I'm glad you're here today on this long weekend. I pray that you will find this service meaningful for you in your faith journey. Once upon a time, a woman begged Jesus to help her daughter. Jesus looked at her and saw a difference. A woman, a foreigner, someone from another faith tradition. When he spoke, he rendered her non-human, comparing her and her sick daughter to dogs. And I don't know about you, but when I first heard this story from the Bible, I was shocked. It challenges my understanding of Jesus. Once upon a time, European explorers arrived on the shores of this land where they, met, where they were met by indigenous inhabitants. The Europeans looked at the indigenous people and saw a difference, foreigners, non-Christians. When they wrote and spoke, they rendered them non-human, comparing them to wild animals in need of taming and control, which the Europeans tried to accomplish through such tactics as blankets infested knowingly with smallpox and the residential school system. And I don't know about you, but when I first heard these stories, I was shocked. It challenged my understanding of my church, my country, and my ancestors. The good news, as we'll hear this morning, is that Jesus changed his mind. He listened, he heard, then he acted differently. He did what he could to make things right for the woman's daughter. 
So too is the United Church of Canada in the process of changing our minds. We're listening, we're hearing, and we're beginning to act. We're changing so that we can make things right for the generations that will follow us. We're not there yet, but we're on our way. And so as we begin our service today, we pause to remember that we gather on the traditional territory of the Ojibwe, the Anishinaabek, the Haudenosaunee, and the Métis peoples. We lament the part the church has played in the ongoing history of oppression and colonization, and we recommit ourselves to being people who will work to change our ways for the sake of our grandchildren and our grandchildren's grandchildren. May it be so. May the light of Christ shine brightly in our lives and all around us. Amen. I'm going to invite you to join me in the call to worship, but speaking very quietly, even whispering if you can. Don't beg, our parents told us. Don't whine, we tell our children. Be polite, the key to civil society. A foreigner approached a rabbi. Her need was great, her daughter ill, her desperation complete. She begged, she whined, she was impolite. Faith emboldened by need, begging, heard, healing. The uppity faith of a feisty woman, Jesus changing his mind. God's grace revealed, this draws us together. We come to worship our God of goodness and grace. Let us pray. Imaginative and vibrant God, creator of all things, you made this planet and all its variety. Let us celebrate the diversity of colors in the world. With red and yellow and orange, we praise and give thanks for the warmth of your love shared between all your children, for the energy of the Holy Spirit that powers us forward in service to you, and for the joy of being accepted by you just as we are. With green and blue and violet, we worship and honor you for the softness of your caring and grace, for the stillness of prayer when we cl draw close to you, and for the peace of knowing you hold us in your loving embrace. Imaginative and vibrant God, creator of each one of us, you made us the way we are. Together, we are a diverse blend of your people. Help us to love and celebrate each other as part of your beloved creation, we pray. Amen. Our minute for mission the support for the people of Haiti. The people of Haiti need emergency shelter, clean water, and food. On the morning of Sunday, August the 14th, Haiti was struck by a severe earthquake. Precious lives have been lost. Many homes and community buildings have been destroyed. Hospitals have also been damaged, and acutely injured and traumatized people are struggling to find help. 
The earthquake follows sharply on the heels of other disasters, including a massive earthquake in 2010 and Hurricane Matthew in 2016. To make the situation even worse, Tropical Storm Grace hit Haiti on August 16th. The impact of the most recent earthquake is all the more devastating because of the political instability, a severe economic downturn, and the COVID-19 pandemic. In the face of the current political crisis, Haitian citizens are working to create an agreement to facilitate a successful interim government to build a different future for their country. The United Church of Canada is in contact with mission and service partners in Haiti to find out how we can support their communities. Already, we know that, that the people of Haiti need emergency shelter, clean water and food the church has made it possible for members to designate donations to help Haiti when they make a gift through a special emergency fund. The church is also asking that we hold the people of Haiti in prayer, gifting us these words by Pierre-Paul Lafond. Oh God, our Haitian neighbors have seen so many tragedies in recent times, and now another, the earthquake that shook the country on August 14th. We pray that you will give the medical teams and those who search for the missing the courage and the strength they need. Strengthen our solidarity with this country that has been battered for so long. You, manifest in Jesus, came to listen and heal the broken and the brokenhearted and those who are experiencing so many challenges and to comfort those who are suffering right now. We pray especially for the people who are waiting for news of their loved ones and for those in hospitals that are unable to meet their needs. Generous God, you know all that they need. Make your loving presence visible to them today and open our hearts to this country, which has once again been devastated. Help us to support those who are coming to the aid of the Haitian people because you are the one who sees the pain this disaster has caused. Amen. Our reading this Sunday comes from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child laying on the bed and the demon gone. Let us pray. Loving and beloved God, as we ponder this morning's Bible study, we ask you to open our spirits and our hearts this day. Just as you open the spirit and heart of Jesus so that we might be inspired by his humility and generosity. May the words I will speak now be a faithful reflection of his teachings and of your love. 
Amen. There's a story in the Bible that you might have heard earlier this summer, depending on where you worshiped when. It's about a man named Jairus, who is a leader of the synagogue. Jairus had a daughter who was very sick. Desperate to help his daughter, Jairus found Jesus and begged. Immediately, Jesus got up and went with Jairus to help the young girl. Today, we heard a similar story from the Bible about a woman who was a Syrophoenician. Like Jairus, she had a daughter who was very sick. Desperate to help her daughter, she found Jesus and begged. And in the end, Jesus responded by helping the young girl. Yet there's one big difference between these two stories. They're only a chapter apart from each other in the Gospel of Mark as well. That difference is that Jesus' response, that difference is Jesus' response, which I want to spend some time reflecting on with you this morning. You see, with Jairus, Jesus' immediate response was to get up and go heal the girl. With the Syrophoenician woman, however, Jesus paused. He likened the woman and her child to a dog. And then he helped the girl. And that's a big difference. So it warrants some unpacking why such a difference. Well, one obvious factor, unfortunately, is gender. Jesus, Jairus, is a man. The woman in today's story is not. In the patriarchal culture that Jesus was raised within, that made a difference. Women were seen as properties of their fathers until they married, when they became the properties of their husband. Married women could be divorced for anything, such as burning the dinner, but they were not allowed to divorce. With the exception of a rabbi's wife, women at the time were not educated. When they went to the synagogue, they were segregated from the men. And when they were menstruating, women were considered unclean and ostracized from the community as a result. We see an example of the difference gender makes in these two stories, where the men, Jairus and Jesus, are given names, while the Syrophoenician woman, Jairus's wife, and the two sick daughters remain nameless. A second factor relates to a difference in religious tradition. Jairus is described as one of the leaders in the synagogue, which implies that he is Jewish. While the gospel of, Gospels of Matthew and Mark differ in their references to the woman, Mark, as we heard today, calls her a Syrophoenician, while Matthew refers to her as a Canaanite, the similarity between these two terms is that she was a Gentile, which is a biblical word for someone who is not Jewish. The difference between these two groups are vast and can be seen in what they ate, how they dressed, how they washed, 
how they worshipped, and what their art, academics, language, and social customs looked like. Even their architecture was different. At the center of the Jewish culture were the Hebrew Bible and the writings of the rabbis. Jews believed in one transcendent God who created the universe and everything in it. They also believed that they were God's chosen people. The Hellenistic culture in the area was more of a free-for-all of Greek and Roman mythology, morality, philosophy, and politics. Since the ways of the Gentiles fell outside the Jewish purity culture, they were typically considered unclean by Jewish people at the time of Jesus. We see a hint of that in this fact, in this story for today. In all of the stories in the Bible about Jesus healing people, this is the one and only time that he does so for someone who is not Jewish. Similarly, there's nationality. The fact that Jesus, Jairus, is a leader in the synagogue implies not only that he is Jewish, but also that he's from the area. Unlike today when religious leaders can move from place to place, that was not the time norm at the time of Jesus. By contrast, the woman in our story for today is described as Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. In other words, she's a foreigner, an alien, someone from away. The fact that Jesus doesn't go to her house as he does for Jairus's daughter reminds us of that. And these are just the differences that scholars have some certainty about in the story. There may be others. For example, Jairus's wife is mentioned, but not the woman's husband. Did she have one? Had she been divorced? Was she a widow? Unmarried? We don't know. Similarly, Jairus, as a leader of the synagogue, would have been in the upper class, educated, possibly with servants in his home, the people who went to find Jesus and Jairus. Were the women and her daughter of the same social background? Probably not. But again, we don't know that for sure. And I don't know about you, but personally, I find these differences challenging. They don't line up with my understanding of Jesus. The Jesus I know is one who gathers a motley crew of disciples. He laughs with children. He talks with women. He heals the sick and he eats with sinners. He says, blessed are the poor and the sick and the lonely. He forgives friends who betray him. He tells us to love one another as we love ourselves. How can Jesus now be likening a woman and her child to dogs? Jesus isn't supposed to say things like that. He's supposed to care for everyone. It's not surprising, then, that theologians struggle with this passage. And over the years, they've come up with many theories to justify this difficult story. Some suggest that the word Jesus used is more like puppy rather than wild dog, like a pet, something we love and cherish. 
Some contrast his use of the word meaning puppy to words for wild dogs that were generally used by Jesus' contemporaries in reference to Gentiles to demonstrate that he was different. Some say it's a metaphor. Some argue that Jesus was testing the woman. Rather than spend our time wondering if any of these theories is right, however, I want to invite us to consider something else instead. What if they are wrong? What if Jesus is actually just demonstrating his implicit bias? Femi Otetoju, a diversity and inclusion specialist with a career spanning over 30 years in the field, says that everyone has unconscious biases. She adds that it can be uncomfortable for us to acknowledge this. As she puts it, we can feel as though we are guilty of something, worry about being bad people because we associate certain types of behavior with certain types of people, and that simply isn't the case. We're all hardwired to make quick, instinctive, implicit associations. As an example, Femi points to her own shock when she first took an implicit bias test and discovered she had a preference in favor of white or light-skinned people. As a black, gay woman, she assumed the test must be wrong. But when she sought clarification from an expert on such tests, he helped her to see how growing up in a small English town surrounded by white families meant that the most positive images she had received while growing up were of white people. In a course I took last spring, one of the assignments involved logging on to Harvard University's implicit bias test website to complete some of their tests. Like Oda Toju, I was startled by my results. For example, I think of myself as fairly progressive. I'm intentionally trying to become aware of my white privilege and working towards living an anti-racist life. Yet like Otetoju, my privilege, my results indicated a moderate automatic preference for European American children compared to African American children. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to guess that like me, like Otetoju, and even as we see with Jesus in our Bible story for today, many of you might yield similar results. So maybe the fact that we're startled and distressed with this Bible story is a good thing. Oda Toju explains that just because we become aware of a bias within ourselves doesn't mean that it has to remain that way for the rest of our lives. For her, awareness of her bias inspired her to learn more about the history of black people and leaders and to surround herself with positive images in her office and her home. She credits this process for the fact that when she took the test again, her bias was gone, emphasizing that it started with the awareness. I wonder if what we see in our Bible story for today isn't one such moment in the life of Jesus. 
What if we don't rush to justify or defend what happens in this story? What if the reason Jesus says what he says is because, like us, he's been influenced by his society to believe certain things about certain people? What if we accept that there was a time when Jesus' implicit bias was held up to him by a courageous and desperate woman? What if the point is that when confronted with this new awareness, Jesus changed, like Ota told you? What if this story invites those of us who profess to follow Jesus to do the same? In her reflection on this test, Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney, a renowned black womanist theologian from Texas, puts it this way. Jesus was fully, but not generically human. He was a first century Palestinian Jewish man who was religiously observant and a product of his culture, including its biases. She continues, now you might be thinking, I believe in the incarnation, but this Jesus is a little too human. To be human is not actually such a bad thing. I say from experience. For to be human is to be made in the image of God, with something of God's capacity to love. And to be human is to learn and grow and change, to open our hearts and minds, expand our beliefs, and relinquish our biases. So this week, I invite you to pay attention what messages do you get from the world around you about people of various races, various ages, various genders, various abilities? If you're someone with a computer, you might even want to Google and try taking an implicit bias test for yourself. And if you should find that like me, like Otatoju, and like Jesus, you might also be subject to some bias? Then follow Jesus' example, acknowledge it, and let it become an opportunity for learning and growth. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Transforming God, we gather our hearts now in prayer that your love and wisdom might flow ever more freely in our lives. We give thanks this day for teachers, both formal and informal. We give thanks for those who show us our biases and challenge our assumptions. We give thanks for those who help us to dream new dreams and embrace new possibilities. As children and teachers return to school after a couple of challenging years, we pray that this year will be filled with learning and growth for all of them. We give thanks also for those who model courage for us, like the Syrophoenician woman does to Jesus those who dare to stand up for what is right and to protect the vulnerable. 
We pray especially this day for places in our world where women's voices are being silenced, including right here at home, as we lift up the women and children who are currently making their home at one of the women's shelters in this area. Bless them and all those who defend human rights and who struggle for equality. We pray also this day for the many places in our world that are struggling with natural disasters, such as flooding and hurricanes, forest fires and droughts. Strengthen the people there to face together the challenges that are before them. As the seasons begin to change around us, moving from summer into early fall, open us anew to whatever changes you would like to see in us. Give us the wisdom to let go of beliefs and biases that get in the way as we strive to be people who help to create a world of justice and abundance. We offer also this day, O oh God, the prayers that are closest to our own hearts. We pray for our family and friends who are facing challenges, those who are sick and those who care for them, those who are grieving the loss of a loved one, those who are facing difficult transitions, those who are worried about how to make ends meet, those who are lonely, and those who are frightened. Stay close, O oh God, to all those who need a fresh assurance of your love right now. We ask all this as people of faith, striving to follow the example of Jesus, remembering how he invited his friends to pray together, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Friends, our time of worship now draws to a close. And I want to remind you, since we haven't done this for a while, that we need to leave in an orderly fashion. So if you can stay in your seats until the ushers come and invite you to exit, just like leaving an airplane, that would be great. I will run to the office and take off my robes and I will head outside if you want to say hello. Outside is a whole lot safer if you do want to chat with people. If you could leave your masks on until you get to your car, even if you're chatting outside, that will just help us to keep everyone a little bit safer. Thanks. And as we go into the rest of our lives, may the blessing of second chances, the deepening awareness of God's presence within and all around, the strength that comes through faith, and the abundance of God's love shared with others be with each one of us as we leave this time of worship to go and be a blessing with all the people life calls us into connection with. Friends, go in love and remember that you are loved. Amen. <laughs>